You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. Luke 2, 1 to 7 says this. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. You know, sometimes the way we learn from Scripture is when Scripture screams out in contrast to the way we do things and the way we think about things. As Luke tells the story of the Nativity, he shows the contrast between the worldly power of Caesar and the apparent weakness of the baby Jesus. But there is another contrast we ought to notice. The one between the welcome Jesus deserved and the one he was actually given. Although he was the son of God and the true king of Israel, Jesus hardly received a royal welcome, a welcome that should have looked much more like the video that we just watched, a welcome fit for who he is. Luke describes him as Mary's firstborn son, but he was more than that. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the child in the virgin's womb was the very son of of God. He was the firstborn of all creation with a unique status as God, the, only, the one and only Son. He was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He was the creator of the universe, the maker of the heaven and the earth. He was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the supreme ruler of all that lives. He was the second person of the Trinity, the only begotten Son, the radiance of the Father's glory. By his divine nature, he shared in the full perfection of God's triune being. This baby, born in Bethlehem, was the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, and all-glorious Son of God. What kind of welcome should he have deserved? Jesus deserved to have every person from every nation come and worship him. He's deserved to have every creature in the entire universe, from the fiercest lion to the tiniest little insect, to come and bow down at his cradle. My mind goes back to the to the story that we watch many times with our children, right? As as the Lion King gathers and they, they hold up Simba and the whole kingdom bows to him. That's exactly the kind of welcome that Jesus deserves. He deserves to have the creation itself worship him with the rocks crying glory and the galaxies dancing for joy. He is God the Son and anything less than absolute acknowledgement of his royal person is an insult. How do we know that he is this person? Well, Luke has told us he is an excellent historian where he has went and he is, he's contacted and talked to people that has witnessed all these things. He's a great historian. And he tells us who this baby is that we should 
be worshiping. We see this in Gabriel who goes to Mary and says this in Luke 1, 31 to 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And a little later down in verse 35, he says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He's the one that should be worshipped. Elizabeth even said in Luke 1, 42 through 43, says this, And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among the women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Talking about Jesus still in the womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And here's our passage tonight. We see God orchestrating the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy pointing us again to who he is by using the mighty Roman Empire to ensure the Savior, the King, the Son of God, would be born in Bethlehem, just as he promised he would be. Although Caesar Augustus had no clue what was going on in every real way, Mary's song of praise is now coming true. The Roman government's relentless arm stretched way down to the little town of Nazareth to these poor people that had to come and pay their taxes. But you know what? Even that was happening for our good today. On this very day, December 24, 2022, it was happening for our good today. The people in the town of Nazareth had nothing Later on, we know this because whenever they go to the temple to offer, it, offer their offering, all they do is offer two turtle doves or pigeons, which is, is, is showing us that their, their, their poverty. Mary's song is starting to come true. Mary's song is starting to come true in Luke 1, 51, 52. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted this of humble estate. He's moving to change things. Although Caesar would never know it, he had unleashed a chain of events that would turn the world upside down. For among millions who had to register was a man named Joseph. A man named Joseph with his fiancée Mary, his betrothed. Now stop and think about this. Out of all this movement and all these things that's happening during this time, this God that fulfills the promise, this God who is faithful, brothers and sisters, he can handle our lives today. He can handle what's coming next. He can handle what's coming two years from now and five years from now. He is a great big God who is faithful and loves his children dearly. See, God was taking Caesar's pawns and moving them to checkmate so that the real Savior would stand alone as the king of kings. The Roman registration required every man in Israel to return to his ancestral home. We read this in Luke 2, 4 through 5. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. 
We see this just in these couple verses that David receives double mention. Luke has already told us that Mary's child would be David's son. The angel said that God would give to him the throne of his father, David. Zechariah said that God would raise up a savior in the house of the servant, David. Now Luke tells us that Joseph, the early father of Jesus, came from the royal line of David. Just amazing how even though some of these promises and and prophets spoke from thousands of years apart or hundred years apart, but they all are lined up. For those that might think that this is some kind of fable, I mean, it just literally is impossible. This is history. This is reality. Now Luke tells us that Joseph, the early father of Jesus, came from that royal priesthood, royal line of David. The grand purpose of these statements is to establish the child's credentials. In order to fill the promise of salvation, Jesus had to be a direct descendant of King David. So it is important, those little details that we get sometimes, where we're reading and we just blow over them. But man, it is so important. 2 Timothy 2.8 says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in the gospel. It all lines up. It's all fulfilled. It's It's all to God's purpose, which brings us back to the contrast. Remember the contrast? How should this person be received? How should this baby be received? One wonders why the eternal Son of God came in this particular way he did. Why was he born in a stable and not in a palace? He's the king of kings. He's right in the line of, of, of David. He's he should, a king. He should be worshipped, kind of like the video that we saw. He deserved at least what Princess Charlotte received, wouldn't you think? Why did Jesus come in this particular way? Why was he born into extreme poverty? I think you would have to agree, agree this has to be delivered on God's part. I think God is doing something here. God is trying to show us something. Not He's trying to show the world something, but as we read it and we go back and we look at the historical account, he's probably showing us something also. If God can move the Roman Empire to get a baby to a town, he could certainly change the circumstances of his birth, could he not? But he didn't. I mean, the angel told Mary, you know, in, in verse 37 of, of chapter 1, for nothing will be impossible with God. So why? What is God trying to show us? Why was he born this way? Why, why wasn't it, he, the, the, you know, the, the carpet rolled out and he born in a palace? No, he was born in, in a place that where everyone seemed to not know that he's just a baby. As, as Nate said, as he often does, he dives into my sermon on, and before we get in there. And that's just a, a wonderful thing. But nobody knew their name. Nobody knew who that baby was. So why was it done this way? Why did God do it this way? Why wasn't there a palace? Why wasn't there a big fanfare? Uh, you know, why didn't he, he had plagues to take down Pharaoh? I mean, he could have done all kinds of things. I would argue that in these facts, there's an element of condemnation for the human race. 
The coming of the Son of God into the world, the birth of the babe of Bethlehem is the greatest condemnation of the human race that is conceivable. And I know many of you that know your Bible are rushing right to the, the passage that says, no, now therefore are, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we've got to remember, yet yeah, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. So why did he come this way? What is he trying to say to the world around him? Why did God choose to do this? And by the way, we should thank God that he did this. Let's look at this. This condemnation in general. He came because it is the only way we could be saved. (laughs) It's the only way that we could be saved. Our condition as a human race is as such nothing else can save us. Mankind is in sin and is completely hopeless, helpless, guilty, and condemned. In general, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but what particular condemnation is God up to with the birth of Jesus in this way? In particular, God is condemning us of our pride, the greatest cause of all our troubles. Pride was the cause of the original sin. Did God really say that? Did God really say that that he knows best for us? Let me just give you a couple examples. God coming in this way is condemnation of our fatal belief in ourselves. In ourselves. A belief that humanity one day will solve all the problems and reach some kind of utopia. Through science and technology, we will eliminate all kinds of suffering and, and we'll eliminate evil and we will reach utopia. No, it'll never happen. There's only one way this will happen. That's when Jesus comes back and sets everything right. Billions of years of evolution will not fix this. There is only one way to fix this. Get this. It's a new humanity. It's a new humanity. And here he is, the first, the head, the second Adam. Jesus, that baby that's in the manger, is the first of a new humanity. We need a new humanity. God's son comes in the world and takes our human nature, but without the corrupted seed, born perfect from a virgin's womb. What was that seed? The seed came from the Holy Spirit. It didn't come from Adam's line. It was broken. He's not corrupted. We needed a new humanity because we are not going to technologize ourselves out of this. And when we are born again, what does Paul tell us? And what does he remind us that when we are born again into this new creation, what does he say? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He's brought you into this new humanity. Because without it, we're lost forever. Without the new verse, we are hopeless. New birth, we are hopeless, helpless, guilty, and condemned. God will fix the problem of man's pride by a new humanity, which ties directly to the second condemnation, and that is human's fatal belief in our pageantry, in our outward show and splendor, our luxury, if you will, or how we look on the outside to build and, and to govern who is great and what is great. It condemns that instantly. Because here we have the King of kings, the Lord of lords, born in a stable with animals or in a room in a house that was made for animals. He was born this way. 
That is how we tend to estimate greatness, isn't it? Through pageantry and through show and through outward appearances. It's just part of our human nature. It's the result of the fall, result of sin. See, that's why John tells us in 1 John not to love the things of this world. The lust of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are not from the Father, but from the world. But see, that's what the world worships. The pageantry and the splendor. But when the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings came into this world, he was not born in a palace with all of its gold, all of its silver, its draperies, its refinements. He was born in a stable with the cattle and the straw. And his little body was placed in a manger. He comes into the world in this way to unmask our folly of our foolish belief and worship of outward show and mere appearance. See, God doesn't care about any of that. He is looking for something different. We have no better example than choosing the choosing of David if you go back to 1 Samuel. Samuel was told, if we remember this story, most of you know this story, Samuel was told to go to see Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Oh, let's bring this whole thing full circle, right? the city of David, Bethlehem, and he goes to to announce the new king, David. I have provided for myself a king. And we know that Jesse lines up all his sons, but one, the youngest, the shepherd, who is out in the fields taking care of the sheep. And what does the Lord say to Samuel? What does the Lord say to Samuel? He says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance, Or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And later on, when this babe in the manger, when he starts his ministry and he grows up, he looked at the scribes and Pharisees, and what did he say to them? He said this to them You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. It is not about the outward appearance. It's about what's inside, what's in your heart. When we look at the stable, the manger, the swaddling clothes, it is condemning our pride. It's condemning our desire to estimate greatness by outward appearance. And it's condemning our inability to deal with our sin. Oh, but when we look inside that baby, we see the way of salvation. We see the way of salvation. See, the baby in the manger is weak and helpless and dependent, could do nothing for himself. But the weakness of the body doesn't matter. It is God in this body that matters. It is the same with us. He tells us that from the manger that our weakness doesn't matter at all. This is the great message of justification by faith. It's not about how strong we are or how good we are or how good we look or or what family we've been born into or how much we have. It's whether or not you have faith in Christ, the king, a little baby that came in the manger. We can do nothing. We cannot keep the law. We cannot live a good life. We can't imitate Christ. We can't please God. The message is this, it is all right. It's all right that you can't do that. 
That's the gospel message. That's the good news. That's what we're celebrating here this Christmas. It's all right that you can't. I have come because you can't. And that's why that condemnation is good for us to actually see and lay down and say, you know what? I can't, but you can. What matters is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. God in Christ coming and redeeming and giving us strength and power. It isn't our strength. It isn't our strength. It isn't our power. It isn't our goodness. It isn't our works that can ever save us. It is what he does. What he will do. And what he has done. It It really all boils down to this. It really does boil down to this. The supreme thing in life. In your life. In my life. Is our relationship to God. Nothing else. It is our relationship to God. He is born in the stable with the cattle and the manger and the poverty, but it doesn't matter. It is his relationship to God that matters. It is his relationship to God that matters. That is the thing to look at. Jesus later on teaches this. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? These are all outward things. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The first thing, the most important thing, the vital thing, the ultimate thing is our relationship to God. That's what mattered in the stable, not his outward circumstances, but his relationship to God. And it is the same with us. Whatever your circumstances are here tonight, whether they are good or bad, that is not the important thing. The important thing is what is your relationship to God? What is your relationship to God? What is your spiritual condition? What is the state of your soul? If we desire to enter into the kingdom of God, if we desire to inherit the glory of the kingdom of God, if we want to be children of God, there's only one way forward. We must cease to have confidence, cease to be having confidence in humanity, in pageantry, in outward appearance. We must be like little children who trust. Who trust mom and dad unconditionally. We must trust our father unconditionally. We must be born again. A kind of Bethlehem has to happen to each and every one of us. We have to become helpless. We have to abandon ourselves to God and his power. He will then become part of the new humanity and become children of God and heirs of the everlasting eternal God. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are joint heirs with Christ. And not matter your plight in life, in this fallen world, the day will come when you will live with him and you will reign with him. 
and all things will be yours because you are Christ and Christ is God. That is God's way. So this Christmas Eve comes to an end. I leave you with this question. Do you know the babe in the manger? What is your relationship to God? Let's pray. Father, I just ask, Lord, as we have seen the gospel, Lord, you came so that we may have hope. Lord, you came in in a certain way to, to point us to our helplessness that we need a Savior. Father, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice, Lord, I pray as they have heard the good news that, that God has drawn close to us, Lord, I pray that you would change hearts so that they may turn and trust in you and lay down the things of this world. Father, for those of us who come and, and tonight and tomorrow and Christmas season is yet a reminder May we be encouraged that you are a faithful God. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.